that I'm driven by growth more than anything else. And um, once I understood that about myself, I said, that is the pain point. When I'm not growing, I am, uh, I'm not happy. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of the Millennial Momentum Podcast. This is your host, Tommy Tahoe Lemo, and I'm on the path for a better life. I want more money. I want better relationships. I want to be in great health. I want to uh, be mentally well, um, and I'm on the path for that and to, to discover how I can get there, and uh, I'm very grateful that you're here joining me on that and, and learning how we can all get there together and reach our goals. So um, you know, today, I have a great interview with Philip Stutz. Get into that in a minute, um, but you know, towards the end, after the interview, you can also see. You know, I'll, I'll do a few of my key takeaways, and I'll give you a, a quick update on what's going on with me and, and the podcast, Millennial Momentum. Um, first things first, fan of the week, my man Zach Anderson over at Assured Leads. He's a sales assassin up in Madison, Wisconsin. Keep doing your thing, man. Thank you so much for listening and for the support. Um, to get into the interview here, Philip Stutz is a really interesting cat, man. He has been in politics and marketing for over 20 years, and he is one of the you know, number one people when it comes to either of those things, uh, politics or marketing. And he's taking the tactics that he's learned from political marketing, you know, he's won three presidential campaigns doing it, and... Uh, sending it over to businesses and seeing how can businesses relate to that uh, in terms of connection and accountability uh, and authenticity and, and a few other things. It's very interesting. But what's even more interesting is that Philip has a rare um, esophagus disease that has never been cured before. And he's on a mission to be the first person ever cured of that disease. Um, that's his moonshot. So we talk about all of that stuff. We talked about um, you know, why he writes his goals down and puts them in the shower. I mean, it's awesome. It's a really good interview. Uh, hope you like this one. Um, if you have any feedback, comments, questions, hit me up on social media, tomalamo.com. In the meantime, hope you enjoy this interview with Philip Stutz. Philip Stutz, good morning, man. Welcome to the show. Man, I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. And you, uh, Man, I've been seeing you on social media. You've been all over the place. I've seen you with Gary V. I've seen you with Jay Abraham. The list goes on and on. Um, where are you calling from this morning? I'm in uh, Naples, Florida. Um, I, 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 my office for my business um, is in, we have an office in Dallas. We have an office in uh, Florida in the northern panhandle, which is where I live. And then we have an office in Washington, D.C. And so I'm uh, usually on the road. Um, I'm down in Naples now, but uh, it's always, always traveling. <laughs> always on the move, trying to, uh, trying to make your, your your dreams come true. And and I think there's, man, there's so many different ways that we can take this, and I'm sure we'll take it in in a lot of different ways. What you're doing is so impressive. But I'd love to just maybe take a step back. Let's get into the roots of what you've been focusing on with your career the last you know twenty plus years in political marketing and like you know from my perspective that sounds like something that i would not want to get involved with at all um just because uh, you know politicians they have that um you know general appeal of 
you know, they're, they're slimy or they're liars or they're crooks or whatever it may be. Um, so how did you even get into that and how did you get so passionate about that topic? Great question. So, uh, I think growing up, I grew up in Alabama and I wanted to do one of two things. I wanted to be uh, involved in sports or politics. I don't know. Maybe it was the show business aspect of it. I always was just really intrigued. My frame, if you can, if you ever get to meet me, is um, you know, I'm five nine and about 150 pounds. So the sport thing really didn't work out for me. Um, <clears throat> and uh, but uh, I, I just became intrigued by politics and just decided, you know what, I, I was going to go do an internship, did an internship um, at one of the political conventions and was like, holy cow, like this is totally my thing. And moved to Washington, D.C., began running political campaigns. Um, I've you know been a part of five campaign, political cam- uh, presidential campaigns. I've been a part of three winning presidential campaigns. And run governor's races, Senate races, um, congressional races, just done the gambit. I think we've, I think we, I calculated recently, it's been over a thousand electoral victories. Um, and then we started, uh, you know, we, we literally, I, I started saying, you know what, um, how could this, in, how could the kind of strategies and principles that we use in politics um, attract businesses and grow businesses? And, and you know, it's really leading into where, why I wrote uh, wrote the book. So that's um, that's really where it came from. I want to get into the I want to get into the book, but I'm curious on on all those presidential campaigns. You have so much experience, and maybe this ties into the book too. But like, what is what's one factor that you think really stands out in terms of the candidate and being able to to win the election? Connection, and I think that that will tie very well into what we will talk about today um but it's connection and you know obviously you have to agree with people's policies but but more than the policies people want a connection with that politician that's important in fact sometimes they overlook what people what that particular politician believes because they believe in the connection more than they do the policy and so we design campaigns to highlight the policies, but really we want to throw out how they can make the connection with the candidate. If connection is what wins, you know, the presidential election, if I'm, you know, Trump or Obama or Bush or whoever, you know, is running in, in a couple of years, how does someone in business, I'm in sales, right? And, and, you know, I'm hosting this on the side. There's people that are in all different professions that are listening to this. How do they build connection to help them, uh, whether they're running their own business or, help them progress throughout their career? It's a great question. I, let, let's take a step back on that then. And, and let me kind of lay out on the political side how we've looked at this. There have been a, a ton of studies, and I've looked at all of them, studied all of them. One of the studies that came out recently, um, I think from the Center of Strategic Initiatives, if you're a, a registered voter, but you have not voted, right? You register to vote, but you don't turn out to vote. If I put my marketing dollars into that group of people and I hit them at sometimes points that they don't get hit on, you know, in television ads or mail pieces or door knocks or whatever, if I put my marketing energies uh, in the digital front or wherever into those kind of voters that don't typically vote, there is now a study out that says that it improves turnout of those voters by up to 15%. So if you took a pool of voters that have not voted, right? They're just registered. And you put marketing dollars into those people. You can take, let's take a million people 
that's 150,000 new voters into the pool that have not voted before. And why that's important is you've got customers out there that have not been hit by your business and they may be receptive to your message, but you have not made that connection. You know, another one is that if we go in and hit voters that chronically vote, that vote all the time, and we hit them in off-peak periods when no one's reaching them, we can increase the turnout of those voters by 8%. And so when you look at those, we, my business, we took those particular ideas and then we reversed engineered it and applied them to businesses. And uh, Tony Robbins has a great quote. He says, um, uh, you know, it takes 16 touches by a company these days from a you know from in a marketing effort to to convert that customer on average and what we have found by applying the political principles into sort of our work for companies and stuff is that we've reduced that by about half because we think about how we're making the connection when we're going to make that connection and how we're making that connection and we just do it in a very different manner so the philosophy is all right if everyone is going to hit them at uh x time you're going to hit them at y time when there's such low traffic and people think that it's not the right time for whatever reason but you get them in the off hours so you're top of mind more consistently then or when there's less uh other things in their head that's one that's one idea uh, that we have employed and found um a better roi another is this and i'll give a great example um i don't know if you've heard of the clothing designer billy reed uh, he's out of New York. Um, my wife is obsessed with his clothing. And so recently uh, for Christmas, I got her a big gift card because Lord knows I am not buying her clothes. Uh, I will get it wrong every time. And she went out and bought all these, you know, a bunch of clothes. And in the, in the box of all the clothes was a handwritten note. And in the handwritten note, it, was, it wasn't generated. It was literally pinned to paper and it was talking about how valued she is and how much it means to her, how much their business or you know the business means to her um or you know for, to them and basically she looked at that and said no one has ever done that before i will be a customer of light for life for people and inherently we get that in politics because the personal connection is so valuable when you talk about millennials wanting to have an edge in kind of in business or in their branding or whatever, that's the key. The key is that everybody in the millennial, millennial sector right now is out there um, talking through digital mechanisms. And that's important. I'm not taking that away. But what I'm saying is if you can figure out a way to do it in a more personal manner, if you can figure out a way to make a more personal connection, you will have an explosive growth because nobody is doing that right now. And we inherently get that in politics because that's the only way our candidates can win. So do you think it has the same impact as a one a one on one connection digitally as it would a handwritten note? So like specifically if say you're influencing someone on Instagram or LinkedIn or wherever and people are commenting on your post and you take the time to go one by one and say, Hey, thanks for your comment. Here's the answer to that question you asked me, that this, that, and the other, versus someone buys your product or you're in sales and, and you write a handwritten letter to your customer. Is that the same to you? Or is there a big difference in terms of I got this notification online versus, wow, I actually got something in the mail from Tom that says, thank you so much for the business. We really appreciate it. And, and that's what makes the difference. 
Totally. And, and here, here's what it all comes down to. And I talk about this in, in the book, but it's about authenticity. And the customer needs to feel um, like they are dealing with someone that is authentic and wants to build a relationship. To follow up on your question, why is Gary Vaynerchuk's uh, or Gary v so popular? Because he responds to almost every single person that engages him online, right? Um, now, that's important. I, I'm, I'm talking about a darts in the dartboard. If you think engaging on the digital platforms is important, it is. If you think that's your only dart that you need to throw at the dartboard, you're, you're not going to make it. If it's handwritten notes or if it's uh, setting up one-on-one -on -one meetings with people or if it's giving a speech and then afterwards, uh, after that speech, is engaging with as many people in the crowd as possible. Um, you know, is it, are you selling a particular product and then how do you think, and think is a big key word here, because the more you think, how can we, how can we build a relationship, an authentic relationship? There's a great author, uh, Sally Hogshead, um, who has written a bunch of books on authenticity. And she, I think she said something like she conducted a 10-year um, research project with over 250,000 business leaders. And that a business leader that focuses on being authentic uh, can improve the bottom line of that business or brand by 200%. And I just laugh at that because, uh, yeah, that makes so much sense. That's all we do in politics, right? If you think about it, our candidates are speaking on the stump. They are knocking on the doors of voters. They're picking up the phone, as, as antiquated as that may sound, but they're making phone calls to voters directly, and they're building that personal relationship. And what we've done is gone to businesses and said, let's figure out a way to be more personal because everybody right now is like, hey, just throw it on Facebook. Just throw it on Instagram. Uh, put it on YouTube. Uh, you know, oh, do we want to do a radio ad or do we, you know, what is it? Whatever all these darts are, I'm for all of those darts. But I think there has to be an, a very strong strategy of personal, authentic relationship building. And that is where we find the massive ROI for these businesses. That's interesting. And would you draw the same line of comparison from authenticity to being vulnerable out there? And what I mean by that is like, if I'm a business owner or if, you know, let's just take a real example, like I'm running the podcast and, uh, you know, people are hearing me and, and you talk and, um, you know, there's a way that I can run this show and just ask very like lined out questions and, and not take chances. Or I can let my personality show and I can share with people, you know, the frustrations I'm having. I can share with them the process a little bit. And I'm, I'm trying to do more of the latter. Um, but do you think that that is something that helps to engage people as well as just like, hey, this is who I am. And hopefully you take me for that. Because like when I think about a business that I really enjoy, like a small business, it's being able to go there to the restaurant or to um, you know, the coffee shop and like talk to the owner and like you get to know that the, Hey, they have three dogs and they're from Arizona and they like this and they like that. And like getting to know who they are and they might be quirky and, um, it might be hard for them to open up like that. But the people that do, I think are the ones that win. Like, am I on the right track on that? Yeah. So I'll give you another great example. Uh, and are you, you're out in San Francisco. Is that right? Yeah. So have you heard of Bodega, the startup Bodega? Uh, I have. Yeah. So, you know, their controversy, and for your listeners, Bodega is the startup where it's basically a, you know, basically a, a, a CVS or a Walgreens in your apartment building where basically it's, and it's a standalone, you know, uh, 
shop where you can buy, you know, drugs or snacks or whatever. And you don't, you know, it's just a big box. Right. And it's a good idea. Right. People have a kiosk in your apartment building where you can don't have to go all the way down to the drugstore to get things. And they went out and did a bunch of research to figure out. And they were going to put these in all these big cities. And these are like two Google guys that started this. And they did all their research to figure out if, if anybody would be offended by the name Bodega in the Hispanic community. And 96% of the people they surveyed or focus grouped or whatever that were Hispanic said, no, that's what we call kind of our corner store. And, you know, I've lived in Washington, D.C. for 17 years and we had tons of bodegas and that's what we called them. Right. Um, but what they didn't research was uh, that woke millennials would be offended for the Hispanics. And so they they took to, to uh, social media and they basically almost bankrupt the whole company. That's one side of the story. The other side of the story is that people in cities were turned off by bodega's concept and the reason being is that people in cities and i i empathize with this totally people in cities like their bodegas they like their corner stores they are typically you know immigrants that have come to this country they typically have a great story they're working really hard and you know i take my example of the bodega we had in washington dc that was down the block from me but it was um, an Ethiopian couple who had immigrated here and they were open seven days a week and the, the owners were always there. And I don't want that business disrupted. I like those people. I want to buy, even though their products are probably more expensive, I want to support them because I care about them. And that's the point I'm trying to get across. Yeah, 100%. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I would say that on the authenticity, even if you don't own a business, I think that's something that you can put across uh, within your company, right? Like if you build that connection with uh, different people throughout the company and show that, hey, like, uh, you know, this is who I am. This is, uh, you know, why I care about sales or why I care about marketing and my job and what I'm trying to do to get better. And like, I'm thinking about that in a one to one with, say, your boss and you build that connection and, you know, uh, help to grow through within the company um, and and build that authenticity that way versus just like, Hey, I'm I'm a 25 year old, and like I just show up here because I'm getting paid to nine to five. Like I think that's a big difference. And you know, I'll, I'll throw out some other cool examples. But you know, we are in an age where people are scared to death to say anything in, with an authentic tone, right? People are scared that they're going to offend somebody, they're going to make somebody mad, and you just can't go through life like that. And, you know, recently um, the there was that Southwest air crash or not crash, but the engine blew out and the woman passed away. The next day I saw the CEO of Southwest doing a video, um, kind of an update video uh, on Twitter. And I went, oh, that, well, that was quick. That was smart. Good. Good for him. He's in the right platform. He's doing a video. Right. That all these are good things. And then I noticed his eyeballs were reading from a teleprompter. And it was this generic gobbledygook of, you know, uh, we are saddened today to, you know, it was this, you know, you could just tell he's reading it. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, are you crazy? Like, if I'm advising that CEO, I'm throwing down that teleprompter and I say, speak from your heart, man. Like, go in and look at the camera and go, I'm, I'm devastated right now. Somebody passed away. I'm going to make this right. I'm not going to rest until I know what happened. And then... I'm going to sit there and fix every single plane, no matter what it takes, because I care about my passengers. You are my business. I will do whatever it takes to make sure you feel safe. If he had done something like that, that, 
you know, like that would have had an explosive result for them because it would have built trust. It would have made people feel safe. It would have brought an element of certainty and it would have built a relationship. It's like just be a human being, you know? Totally. And we are lacking so much of that in the business side right now that the people that do it effectively and authentically have have explosive results. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about, too, is is what your feeling is on the word urgency. And that appears like when I think and, and I did a lot of research on um, on your business, too. But even when I just think of like a political campaign, right, like there's ultimate urgency, like you either win or you lose. There's a very finite time that you have to build the audience. And if you don't get them to vote for your candidate, like, you know, that was a failure. Um, and then, you know, even as we tie that in to um, on the health side with you, uh, and we can get into this in a little bit uh, on on your disease, like that's also the ultimate urgency. Like, so how has how has that word um, like really impacted you and, and how are you using that to your advantage? Yeah, in politics, we have the um, we have the ultimate deadline. We have election day, right? And uh, is I love this is throwing this one out. But in 2016, my company launched 122 candidates. What if I said businesses, and I won 92 of them? What if I said in uh, I, you know I had 122 business launches, and we hit number one in the market 92 times, like. That's an insane stat, right? One business launching is a lot, but that's what happened. My business, we we were the marketing arm for 122 political campaigns in 2000 in the 2016 election cycle, and this in the 2018 election cycle, I think we'll be in the 180s because we're growing. But it's crazy, and when you have that many, and you know, the great example of this is uh, that you know there's an there was an election, uh, special election in, in Pennsylvania a couple weeks ago for Congress. There were hundred, there were hundred or two hundred and twenty eight thousand votes out of that special election for Congress. Right, uh, the Democrat won, beat the Republican. But what if I took out the Democrat and the Republican and I put company A, company B, and I told both companies that they had five months, which is how long this particular campaign lasted, and that they had to. Um, uh, then after five months, the company that got, you know, received the most transactions, customer transactions, became number one in the marketplace. And the other company that they were competing with that finished second was out of business, gone, out, can't, and can't restart for two years, right? <laughs> How fast would you move? How quickly would you go? In that particular uh, political race, 228,000 votes were cast. It came down to less than 700 votes decided the winner. But again, what if I told the business owner, you know what? 220,000, 228,000 customer transactions. It'll come down to less than 700 transactions. And you're either out of business or you're number one in the marketplace. Go. How fast would you innovate? How fast would you move? Like, how fast would you go? We have to test and figure this thing out you know, figure all of our marketing strategies out. Let's test every concept and then push forward on the ones we know that work. But how quickly would you do it instead of sitting there and having endless meetings, endless strategy sessions, you know, talking about, hey, let's talk about brand management. No, we talk about winning in politics. And when we talk about corporate business, we talk about winning. That is our mindset. And so the mindset of election day makes us go at an, you know, a, an exponential speed 
that we think is critical for businesses to be successful. So how do you balance that versus playing the long game, knowing that, you know, yeah, you want to move fast and you want to disrupt and you want to be innovative and you want to move to the next level in the next month and two months and three months versus, hey, it takes time to build a to build a brand or it takes time to build a really, really successful business. Like there's, you can't take shortcuts and expect to, you know, like the, the classic millennial dilemma of like, hey, I want everything instant gratification. Like how do you balance that in the, in the business? Well, you move fast in a long-term play. You know, I don't think you take shortcuts at all. Um, you know, if you have the mindset of, I want to grow this business 10% next year, and you hit your 10% goal in May, then you could, you know, kind of cross your hands, sit down and said, man, we're pretty good. But if you have sort of that 10x mindset, then it's going to make you go a lot faster. And one of the things we try to do is, is lay out with companies like, hey, we want to get to this particular goal in three months. And then we're going to reevaluate. We're going to set the next goals and we're going to set the next outcomes and we're going to keep moving football forward. But it doesn't sacrifice the quality. It just means you've got to go and you've got to move. And, you know, you mentioned this earlier. Um, I, I have an uh, incurable disease um, and I'm, I have a time, time clock on my, on my, my health. And uh, I can sit around and do nothing about it or I can go disrupt it. And if you if I think if people have felt that way in their own businesses, which is a driver for me. I mean, it is. Um, I think I'm much faster in my own business and much grandiose in my outcome thinking because of what I've done, gone through in my own health. Yeah, and so what you mentioned the word disruption before, and I've heard you talk about it, too. Like what what does disruption mean for you in the business and for you in life? And and how can the people listening take advantage of the massive disruption that's always going on in one way or another uh, and maximize that to, to help them with their business or help them with their life? Well, we're in the most disruptive moment in the history of, the, of our economy ever. And, you know, I spend a lot of time with um, a um, technology disruptor in Peter Diamandis, and I have learned um, about many of the disruptions coming and they would everybody's jaw would drop if they listened to them. Um, but uh, everything's changing and what you're doing now will be disrupted in the next 10 years. That's a hundred percent. And, you know, I'll take my own story, which is my health, which I just alluded to. But in 2012, I was diagnosed with a, a rare esophageal disease and my esophagus doesn't work and it'll never work for the rest of my life. My, my disease has no cure. No one's ever been cured of it. And when I sat down with I've had three major surgeries on this esophagus. I've had 15 minor procedures. My esophagus looks like a, an upside down pom-pom, cheerleaders pom-pom. Like they've just shredded me. Uh, it's the only way I can get food down when I eat. And uh, the doctors at the Mayo Clinic um, have told me that um, I'm, I'm on path to have a feeding tube sometime in the next 10 or so years. Uh, they're going to have to replace my, or take, take out my esophagus. And, for the first, they told me this about four years or five years into my disease, and I was so uh, my head had been buried in the sand, even though there was a disruption coming in my own life that I didn't do anything about it. I was paralyzed by that fear, you know. And so I heard this doctor at the Mayo Clinic say this, and I said, "Well, no more. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out this disruption." And so 
that's that was in that was almost two years ago and you know i have uh i i it took me about four months i got my health in in order and then uh i decided it was i needed to cure the incurable or figure out a way and so i just kind of made it my moonshot my mission that i was gonna cure a disease that had never been cured before or find a way to find a cure and so that was in March of 2017 that I sort of wrote this and proclaimed it. And um, in the next 12 months, uh, through a crazy series of circuitous routes and uh, using digital marketing uh, to disrupt my disease, um, I'm about to enter into a one-man clinical trial uh, at Johns Hopkins University this fall. Well, they'll insert stem cells into my esophagus to hope to regenerate the nerves and the muscles that are basically dead. And they have no idea if it'll work. They have no idea if it'll fail. It's never been done before. And I'm the only person (laughs) they're letting do this. And so I don't know what to think. All I know is uh, I had my head in the sand for five years because I didn't want to face the disruption of my, my own life. They literally are going to take my esophagus out and and connect me to a feeding tube. And I did nothing until I woke up one day and said no more. And, you know, basically 17, 18 months later, I'll begin a clinical trial. And the reason that's important is because every doctor at the Mayo Clinic told me your disease is what it is. You don't, you know, just take your medicine. They pat me on the head and they tell me to get out of the office and see in six months. And I just said, I'm not, I'm going to listen to some of what they say, but I'm also going to follow my own path. And it led me to this path that led me to where I am right now on the precipice of this clinical trial. So this, this is a, it's a crazy story and it's, it's actually very interesting how calm you are when you, when you talk about this, because it's, when you think about it and you like write this down, it's like, this is, this is freaking crazy. And so you get um, diagnosed with, you know, a quote-unquote incurable disease. I don't want to call it incurable because it has been incurable in the past, but that doesn't mean that it, it won't be cured and that your mission won't be successful. But like, what gives you the confidence and the, I don't know if, I, if audacity is the right word, but what gives you the confidence to think so big about this that, hey, I'm going to be the one that cures the incurable disease. I'm going to be the one that um, while doing that, builds a business and can help people to help people to grow their business by so much. And like, I guess, how do you have such a mindset of 10x growth mindset, thinking so big? And how does the like the law of attraction uh, play into that, if at all? Yeah, I don't know. I've never thought about the, the law of attraction, but I will say that I'm driven by growth more than anything else. And um, once I understood that about myself, I said, that is the pain point. When I'm not growing, I am, uh, I'm not happy. And I'm probably doing destructive things, whether it be into my health or my personal life, my marriage. Um, And so I, I have to set these audacious goals because it is what wakes me up every morning and know I have to work towards something. And you know it's interesting because yeah. How do you sorry? How do you how do you uh, evaluate growth? Well, that's it. That's it. I think everybody's differently, but for me, I kind of set out where I want to go, and I usually shoot for something that's totally unattainable. Uh, and it 
I know I can't get it. You know, this is why I go fast because I don't want it to, it may take 10 years for, for a normal person. And I go, well, I'm not going to do it in 10 years. I, I want to do it in one year. And it doesn't mean I get there in one year, but what it means is I've made a lot more progress than most people that shoot for the 10%. And I'm good with that, you know? And I think the way I also look at this is I fail all the time. I mean, literally, whether it be my health, I mean, look, I'm not supposed to, I have a very restrictive diet. I'm on that diet, on that diet 75% of the time. When I'm on this restrictive diet, I can get off all of my prescription medications for the first time in six years. It's incredible, right? Uh, 25% of the time, I don't follow that diet because I just don't have the willpower. I'm not 100% successful, you know? And uh, last night, you know, because I'm traveling with my family right now, um, I, we, I hadn't eaten all day. I'd been moving my in-laws uh, in, into a retirement home. I, it was late. I was exhausted. I hadn't eaten. I went, we went to this restaurant. They didn't have anything that was compliant with my diet. And I freaking ate a pizza. And that is, it took me, you know, like 10 gallons of water to get it down, a couple beers, which I shouldn't have had. Uh, but I fail, right? But I got up this morning and, and I used to feel shame when I failed like that. And now I go, Eh, it is what it is. I gave it my best yesterday. I didn't succeed all the way, but I made, I'm always making progress. Right. Um, you know, I'd say the same thing in my marriage. I work really hard on my marriage. Man, do I fail a lot, man, do I make, make mistakes and screw up and drive my wife insane. But I am always trying to be a better man, a better husband to her. Same thing for my daughter, same thing for my business. And when it comes to the business and, you know, my business, we have everybody that we're almost everybody that works in my company is a millennial. I'm not right. And so I've had to reverse engineer my entire management skills because the way I was managed running a business is drastically different than it is to manage a millennial. And I realized that I was only going to have success, Tom, if I said it's not their fault, it's my fault. I'm the one that has to change. And I'm the one that has to shoot for a higher goal to, uh, to meet their needs, to meet their ambitions, and to be a better, better boss. So I just kind of look at it and everything. I fail all the time. I can give you lots of failures if you want. I love talking about the failures. Yeah, well, I think um, you know the, the moving in the in-laws, that'll definitely get you some brownie points on, in the husband category. So it looks like you're on a, on a winning streak, in, at least in that, in that silo this week. Um, but you know, one last thing on the goals piece before we move on. Um, you know, you're setting these audacious goals and you're failing all the time, and I love that. Um, I'd just be curious on like your process of the goal setting. Um, more specifically, like, all right, I want to, you know, grow my business by this amount of revenue, or I want to cure an incurable disease in 10 years. Do you write this down? Do you say it to yourself? Do you, I thought it was interesting that you said like, and I, I saw that you wrote about it on medium, um, and you put it out there in the world. Like, is that part of the process or, or do you think about that stuff at all when you're, when you're setting these big goals? I think a couple things. It's a really, really good question. I think one is accountability. Um, If I wrote these things down and then didn't announce them either to uh, my team, my family, my, you know, my doctors, whatever, then I'm not accountable, right? It's just something that just floats in the air that I say is out there, but no one holds me accountable for it. So one is you have to figure out a way to have people find you accountable for whatever you say you're going to do. And that's hard because when you fail, they go, oh, you didn't hit this 10x goal. (laughs) 
<laughs> you're like, dude, I'm not, <laughs> I, I got five times, but not 10. You're right. But it's fine. That's good. That make that motivates me even more, right? To let people down to disappoint people. That is the ultimate accountability. So yeah, I wrote my disease goals out on medium and actually ink magazine printed uh, our ink. Uh, printed a uh, one my sort of moonshot article, the first one I wrote, that's pretty accountable. And um, the other thing, and this is a great hack uh, for anybody out there, but I write down all my goals or I call them outcomes. I don't like use the word goals, but I write down all my outcomes for the year and then I laminate them and I put them in the shower. And so every morning when I get up, I look at them, I read over them and I can't escape them. And that's an accountability for me that I have within myself. I love that. I love that. Um, the shower goal. I haven't heard that. Um, I've heard of people doing it like post-it note, put it on the bathroom mirror. Um, you know, I write them down in the morning, um, but in the shower, I love that. And, and the accountability. Well, I've got, I've got, I've got quotes that are meaningful to me, right? I've got, uh, goals and outcomes. Uh, I have, uh, the, the, the failures, the things that have held me back, I write down and talk and, and, and I laminate it all. I got poster boards all over my shower so I can choose what I look at today. Wow. That's crazy. All in the shower. So it's like you cannot yeah. avoid that in the, in the morning. Right? Not even on Saturday. <laughs> it's always following you. And I think that's awesome. Uh, I think that's something that I might try that out. Um, one thing I wanted to point out too, you mentioned a while back, you've, you've said the word moonshot a few times. You've uh, you mentioned Peter Diamandis. You mentioned Tony Robbins. Um, for anyone listening that's interested in this and wants to think big, I, I would have to imagine you, you've you listened to this. But uh, both of them went on Tim Ferriss's podcast way long ago, maybe two or three years ago. It's like one of the early episodes talking about how do you turn your 10-month goal or for you a 10-month, 10-year, uh, sorry, 10-year goal or 10-year outcome, and how do you skim that down and, and accomplish it in six months? It is it's crazy the the what can happen when you think bigger and think outside the box. Th- that particular podcast was the defining podcast of of my wow. business life. Really, and that just changed yep. your. It was in October of 2014. I mean i I was driving down the road to go see a client in New Orleans, and I pulled off on the side of the road, and I started taking notes, and I immediately. Uh, Googled Tony Robbins because I'd heard of him, but I hadn't heard of him. And I called their office and I wrote a $10,000 check uh, to go to one of his seminars uh, on the spot. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's on another level um, for anyone listening. Like you got to check that out. That's crazy. That, um, that had such an impact on you. And you've said you met and you met yeah, and you met Peter. It sounds like. I've tried. I went to China with Peter last summer. Um, was in his office uh, two weeks ago in uh, out in LA. Um, and so he is, um, he has been incredibly helpful. He's helped us help me. He's introduced me to a bunch of doctors that I've assembled a team around me on, on, on my moonshot. And, and he is the one that, that really has been very instrumental. Um, the, the diet that I'm on was uh, an author that he introduced me to that is now my personal doctor. So it is just, he's been very, very helpful to me. We're talking about you're, you're thinking big, you're failing all the time, you're moving forward, you're, you're setting audacious goals slash outcomes, you're looking at them. Like what's, what's the one thing that you think is holding you back from the next level of Philip Stutz? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I, you know, I think it is the fact that as crazy as I want to think and as crazy as I'm trying to achieve, I've always been wired to think the the worst will happen anyway. And so, you know, I it, this happened to me this week. I'm, I'm interviewing right now to be a fellow at the Aspen Institute's uh, Educational Fund, Foundation. And if the Aspen Institute's an incredible think tank, and it's an unbelievable honor. And I was telling my wife um, that this is, you know, going on. And I said, man, but it's, it's a huge commitment. And if I do it, you know, I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks. And then that may, you know, I start, I immediately start going to the negative. Right. And my wife's like, what are you doing? Like, this is such an honor. You, you, you'd be able to help people with educational issues. You'd make a difference in this world. Why are you not talking like that? Why are you immediately going to what a time commitment it is and all that stuff? And I was like, God, that's so true. And so really where I, struggle and that's just the way i was wired my whole life but i'm trying you know part of the reason i guess i go so hard and i think try to think so much bigger is i'm trying to break free from that and it still comes up you know and so that's probably that's probably a good example of something uh, recently. okay that's interesting that's interesting um and then you know one last thing i wanted to bring up too um you know i was going through and, and researching on the site and i see that you do um or your your company go big media does a free uh, business audit for anyone that asks and you evaluate, um, you know, what they're doing from, you know, a marketing standpoint. And I would have to imagine that you're, you're pretty, pretty critical of most people. Cause I think that, uh, by the sounds of it, most people aren't building connection. They're not being authentic. They, they have some of these loopholes. So like, I'm curious, like, does that apply to one person, like someone that's trying to promote their, you know, their podcasts out there and get that going? Or, or can you tell me a little bit more about what, what the audit has been like? Sure. So I'll even give you some background. Um, in creating our digital media company, we, I always say we really create a culture company first. And we learned how to build a team of millennials and fashion a company that meets their purpose uh, meets their, you know, we, we want people to have fulfillment in what they do. I, I get, I, I am one of these people that, that, hates it when other old people pound on millennials because I think millennials actually are the, are some of the most talented people that have ever walked the earth. And I want to design a company that helped think like them. And so that's how we created the company. And then I said, well, why don't we take this to our clients? And so we started designing outside of just the work we did for them. We started designing a culture to serve our clients, getting to know them, understanding their families, understanding uh, important things to them and delivering on a more substantive relationship. And then I said, after we started putting that together, I said, how could we do this for people that aren't even clients? <laughs> and so we created this free digital audit uh, that if you're a business owner or you're trying to build a brand or you're you know trying to build a podcast, you basically, uh, we, we will measure and evaluate your digital footprint. We'll go into all the publicly available uh, digital mechanisms that you use and we will go in and, and evaluate it and we will tell you what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. If you have a marketing company in place, we'll tell you how they're screwing up. We'll tell you why you need to fire them, or we'll tell you that they're really good and you need to keep keep with them. Um, and we just decided, how can we provide more value uh, to someone else and really uh, build relationships, right? So it's a free audit. Doesn't It takes five minutes. 
you can go to uh, my personal websites, philipstutz.com backslash audit, uh, or you can go to winbigmedia.com and you can fill out the information. It'll take you five minutes. It'll give us a couple days. We'll look at everything that you guys are doing, and then we'll come back with a report, and we'll do a conference call and explain all these things. And, you know, the, the funny thing, Tom, that we find more than anything, we've done hundreds of them at this point, is it's the basic. It's the blocking and tackling that, you know, websites are not important, but they are important, right? Because it's not like, uh, I mean, with websites right now, you'd just be surprised how many of them are not utilizing uh, video and how many of them uh, were built in 2015 and are basically obsolete. And a lot of those are the resumes and the determining factors of whether people are going to do business with you. And so I've found that. I've found uh, a lot of you know people that will put up videos that either don't kind of meet the, the needs uh, or what the platforms demand you know, in the way that they're formatted on Facebook or YouTube, uh, or they're too long or they're too short, you know? Um, and so we go in and evaluate all that and give you feedback on how you can improve all of those things. And it really is just an extension of us trying to provide uh, better service and better relationships for the people we work with. That's cool. That's, it's a cool idea. And it's something that, you know, for the listeners, I'm going to, I'm going to go out there, put my head in there and, and, and see what I can do. And, and, um, know uh be able to report back on on some of their findings i think it'll be pretty critical um but i i can take it i need a good ass kicking um and you know i think you know one question that i would have too is like someone that's building their personal brand or uh just starting a business or anything like that there's so many platforms for someone to do that themselves like handle their social media handle their site uh come up with all these ideas have you seen a tipping point in terms of that can really only bring you so much value from a marketing standpoint. Like, all right, you need to hire someone full time or you need to contract someone to like, that's a skilled professional that can help you with that. Uh, have you seen like a tipping point there at all? I have, cause there's so many people in the marketplace right now, right? Um, in 2011, you could do it yourself and you can be an outlier very easily. And in order to be an outlier, you, it's not that you just need, um, to, to have this talent. Uh, you've got to be able to get the, your, your message out, but it's not just getting your message out. It's getting it out, not only to the right platforms at the right times to the exact audience that needs to be. Um, and you know, then, you know, you got to think about how it's updated constantly and the fact that the only people that are going to be successful in that type of marketplace are people that are in it for the long haul. Because too, too many times I see this over and over again. Uh, in fact, we uh, were talking to an a person that wanted to be an influencer recently and they were very frustrated. And they were very frustrated because they had been in the coaching business for years, but now they wanted to go be a, 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 an influencer. And in the first two months, they had not made any traction. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> you are, it's not, you're not going to make traction. You're literally going to build this two followers a month and you're going to have to do this for 10 years. And you may not have, uh, you may not have the bandwidth to do that. And so what you're saying is you got to put a team around you that thinks from a macro and a micro and you got to be in it for the long haul. And and that's a challenge. And you need to figure out how to do that with money or without mm. money. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, and that goes back to like, 
all right, if you want to get your 10-year goal down in six months, like it's not going to happen by chance. Sometimes you got to put money forth or every time you got to put in more effort, more energy and, and be creative and things like that. Um, but that's why we also go back. If you say, I, I know I have to build this. I want to go fast. I want to, but I also, I know, you know, I want to build this. Going out and building personal relationships is going to be much more important than trying to run digital media campaigns, right? And to, to get followers or to get people into, into what you're trying to do. Listen, when I go out and I give, and I give paid speeches, I have, um, I get, you know, you, you would just not believe how many more people want to take the audit, how many more people want to get to, you know, subscribe to, you know, what we do on my own website, philipsdoes.com is we, we're going to, you know, we're putting together this map where we play out where businesses are using uh, political strategies to succeed and fail, right? Where they've done it poorly or where they've done it successfully. And when I explain that in a, and when I'm speaking, we have, we have so many people that are interested. When I do it on a podcast, we have some people that are interested. And when I put it out on digital mechanisms, we have virtually nobody that's interested. And the reason is, is because it's not a personal relationship. And so I have to get out there and do more speaking. I need to talk to more podcasts. If I want to help businesses learn a different strategy to grow in the disruptive economy that we're in right now. And I just keep going back to this. It is about emotion. It is about authenticity and it is about a personal relationship. And that is the key because no one else is doing that right now. That's yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the way that um, I think we can, we can wrap this thing. Like if you want to get to the next level of building your business, building your personal brand, becoming a better employee, becoming, uh, you know, better at anything, it's, it's being authentic. It's getting the one-to-one connection and trying to do the one-to-one connection at, at scale though, you know, like trying to, um, and by that, I don't mean like blanketing out a message to everyone. I mean like putting in the the legwork to build as many one-to-one connections as you can. And you never know who that one person might be. Like if you have you know, 50 connections in a day, like you, know, the, you never know if that one is going to be the best friend to the founder of Inc. And like you just don't know what the connections will be. So you got to get out there. You got to do the legwork um, and, and, and put in the time. And, and Philip, I really do appreciate you coming on. Um, I want to give you one last chance too to let everyone else know where can we find you. Uh, we know we can find you, philipstutz.com uh, backslash audit, but where else can we find you on social? Where can we find the book um, and, and anything else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The book is uh, Fire Them Now. It's on Amazon. Um, and the uh, you can find me on Facebook. It's CEO Philip Stutz. And then on Twitter, it's just Philip Stutz. Cool. Well, Philip, really appreciate the time, man. Um, everyone else, the, the, uh, all that will be in the show notes. You can check that out. Um, buy the book. Listen to the man. Get authentic. Get one-to-one with people. Thanks, Philip. Appreciate it. Hey, honored to be on. Guys, thanks so much for listening to that killer interview with Philip Stutz. I want to give you my uh, quick three takeaways from that interview and then give you a little update. So, you know, the three things. Number one is that moonshot. Uh, you know, trying to cure an incurable disease. I mean, not all of us necessarily are put in that position, but to think of a moonshot and to hold yourself accountable and put it out in the public, I think there's a lot of power to that. And I think there's a lot of, um, you know, law of attraction type of stuff that uh, you can get out of that. I just put put an episode out this week about law of attraction that you should check out, but and visualization. So I think 
um, having a moonshot and something to go for is, is really important. You know, number two is, you know, he talks about winning. Um, and I think that's awesome. You know, like he says, like in his, you know, with his clients and with his team, like, hey, it's about winning. You know, it's not about, hey, how can we do, um, you know, X thing better or Y thing better. It's like at the end of the day, you're either winning or you're losing, especially in a political race. I mean, like you either won or you lost. And if you translate that to business, you know, it, he thinks that you're going to move quicker, you're going to adapt quicker, um, your, your thoughts are going to be better, all that. And I agree. Um, you got to be competitive and you got to go for the actual win versus some of these soft metrics sometimes. Um, and, you know, the third thing is putting the goals in the shower. I mean, that's just crazy good. Um, I First thing when I wake up, uh, last thing before I go to bed, I write my goals down and as if they've already, you know, happened, um, you know, like I am or I have, and putting them in the showers next level. Um, he says you can't escape them no matter what, you know, even on Saturday. I don't, I don't know what his wife thinks about that or anything like that, but I thought that was cool. Um, so those are my three takeaways from this interview. And, um, you know, one thing that, you know, maybe just to update everyone on how things are going with the podcast, um, you know, everything's going well. Uh, a few things to check out. The interviews are still coming in strong. We've got just made a big prospecting list of just A-listers all over the place. Um, and that was kind of a takeaway I had from one of my uh, mastermind meetings is let's just get that list going and just hammer it, hammer it, hammer it. So uh, towards late summer, we're going to be having some killer interviews. And um, if you go to the site, Tom Alamo, T-O-M-A-L-A-I-M-O.com, you'll see a new little tab, a new page for contributors and starting to get some more contributors here to Millennial Momentum, whether it's in the podcast and the video and the blog. So starting to get that going actually this week. And so you check that out. If you're interested in being a contributor, hit me up. Um, you can find me. Uh, on any social media, email me, whatever, and uh, see what some of these other people have to share. So anyways, thank you so much. If you found any value here, please rate, review, pass it along to a friend. Have an amazing day. I'm very grateful that you've listened this far, um, and let's let's have a great week, everyone. Out.